all ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Join us almost every Thursday on iTunes, Alexa, or your favorite podcast app for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Here at Lime Ninja Radio, we encourage you to fight Lyme like a ninja and think outside the tick. Lyme disease it causes all kinds of secondary problems, and there we go. Get that off the screen. <laughs> That's a secondary problem. <laughs> and one of those secondary problems can be heavy metal toxicity. If you ever wondered if heavy metal poisoning might be blocking your recovery and making you sick, head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and claim your free coupon for the Myers Detox course. We've sponsored with Wendy Myers, and we got you a pretty good sweet deal. You get a hair tissue mineral analysis and all the information you need to interpret that, and 40 bucks off. What's not to like? Right, Aurora? Oh, Hello. yeah. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 261 with the co-founder of the Tick-Born Conditions. I always get that wrong. Tick-Born Conditions United, Beth Carrison. And also, please help welcome Aurora. She's the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio. Hi, and a great big shout out to all you longtime ninjas. You're the reason that we have more than half a million downloads. McKay and I really appreciate you tuning in. And we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. We're we're glad you tuned in and you're now officially a Lime Ninja. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. This week's top 10 cities are... Number 10. I'm going to start with number 10. Yeah, Cochrane, Canada. Okay. Number 9, Santa Rosa, California. Number 8, Victor, New York. Number seven, Tunkhannock, Pennsylvania. Number six, Albion, New York. Number five, Maynard, Mass. Pack the car, my favorite ad from the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, Sanger, Texas. I did like that one. Number would... three, Dallas, Texas. Number two, Atlanta, Georgia. Number one, Paris, France. Also, do you want to be a guest on Lime Ninja Radio? Head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and fill out the guest suggestion form. And if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, then share this episode on Facebook, Twitter, or wherever your favorite social media platform is. And if you really like what we're doing, do us a favor, scroll to the bottom of your podcast app and give us five stars and write a review. Our goal is to get two new reviews each month. We failed last month. We only got one. However, oh, it's a new it's month. Honor. We're starting again, <laughs> fresh slate, too. So go ahead and do that for us. And if you really, really like what we're doing here and want to help keep us keeping on, consider supporting Lime Ninja Radio for as little as $1 a month. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and look for the support tab up in the top right. All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about this week's guest, Beth Carrison. This is from the Tickborn United website. Beth Carrison was diagnosed with two tick-borne conditions, Lyme disease and alpha-gal syndrome, aka the red meat allergy. She's been managing food allergies and Lyme disease, both her own and her family, since 1996. 
In 2018, Ms. Garrison co-founded the Tick-Borne Conditions United with Dr. Jennifer Platt and has been working with the Federal Tick-Borne Disease Working Group since 2019. All right. Thanks, Aurora. And please welcome Beth Garrison. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me, McKay. This is great. This is awesome. Thank you for being so brave. Really, no, thank you for trying a live Facebook Live event. We have zero experience with this, so you're you're teeing up and being brave like all of us here today. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's really important to get the message out. So I'm. Thank you so much. We've been. I've been trying to have you on as a guest to this podcast now for how since we were in Maine, right? Yeah, it's been almost a year. That was last April we met. You're a very busy lady. Your calendar is incredibly full. Yeah. And why don't you tell us let's how to get started here? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? And then we'll go back and talk about how it all began. Sure, sure. So uh, most recent updates, I guess I would uh, want to share is we just uh, finished uh, delivering the alpha-gal syndrome subcommittee report uh, via the tick-borne disease working group. Um, and let's say the working group was uh, put together under the 21st Century Cures Act, uh, which is really tasked with looking for gaps and overlaps and different um, research efforts going on in the United States. So one of those efforts is surrounding tick-borne diseases. And uh, initially, alpha-gal syndrome wasn't included in the conversation at all um, because it was classified as an allergy and uh, the details just hadn't really been well communicated that it has been proven to be uh, triggered by a tick-borne tick bite. So, um, we worked towards getting that on the uh, the on the radar a couple of years ago, and um, Jennifer and I helped put together a couple of people from the Alpha Gal Syndrome su uh, support groups out on Facebook, and uh, took a couple times getting that heard. And when they finally did, they agreed. Geez, you know, this is this is something to look at, and ultimately. Um, that information got transferred to a report that went before Congress last December, and then uh, that got approved because the working group is just a federal advisory committee. They're not, they can't um, they make don't have budget. Yeah. <laughs> They're just yeah. advisors, you know, to say like, yeah, this is a problem. So they're really tasked with looking for gaps and overlaps in the research. And AlphaGal was a giant gaping gap because we found that it wasn't just um, folks being bitten by the Lone Star Tick. We were hearing hundreds and thousands of comments from people that were bitten by the Black-Legged Tick. And we knew that the Black-Legged Tick worldwide was also associated along with many other ticks. So uh, we just felt really strongly. And um, that was really the genesis of starting the nonprofit Tick-Borne Conditions United was to help represent the lesser known conditions. And so last year they uh, put together a plan to address it more robustly by creating um, its own subcommittee 
uh, through the working group and I was asked to participate as the patient advocate representative. So that's what we just presented was our first report, the first comprehensive report in the United States that uh, will go out. So it's quite significant. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. And I've spoken some to some people off the record who's involved, who are involved uh, with that uh, the tick-borne uh, committee there, and they're generally really pleased with the way things are going. And what's what's your take on that? Because I know a lot of people just get down the government. They're not doing enough. They're not doing it fast enough. And you know, I want to be cured, and I want the answer now. Yeah. And unfortunately, I know. Um. So here's here's every meeting I got. When I would hang up, I would be choking back tears of gratitude, honest to God. I just am so happy that they're working on it. Uh, not just alpha-gal, but all the tick-borne illnesses. They're taking it so seriously. And they are moving slow for a couple of reasons. One, the process just moves slow. Two, they are really trying to get this right this time because they know that this has not worked the way it's uh been going because you know you, you hear the stats out there Lyme disease alone it's just one of umpteen different conditions known right so here we are you know Lyme disease alone gets uh, you know about 300,000 to 400,000 new diagnoses a year yeah. and money right? yeah money is eight times more than HIV AIDS and it gets less funding than leprosy when was the last time you heard somebody getting leprosy I mean you know we're Never. yeah and in some studies, alpha-gal syndrome alone is uh, being tagged as the fastest growing allergy in the United States. Wow. So it's significant, the ripple effect, at least for alpha-gal, not, not including all the other conditions. So it's really important we get moving on this quickly and they're going as quickly as the process can go right now. You know, unless something, you know, monumental happens, and usually it's something terrible, you know, natural disaster, some horrible terrorist attack, Congress and the government moves rather slowly and deliberatively. That's you know, part of the process. So just hang in there and tell people good stuff is coming. We, you know, we hear all these conversations kind of off mic and behind the camera, and it, it does sound encouraging, and we're moving in the right direction. Now, Let's stick one little step. Tell for right. people who aren't familiar with Alpha Gal, what is that, and what you know, and then then we'll get a little more personal. Like what your what's your day like, day to day living like, and how's this affected you? Because it's you know it's it's a crazy disease. It's a crazy allergy. It is. It really is. Uh, okay, so Alpha Gal syndrome uh, is. Not a fate made up feminist movement. That's what I thought. Because <laughs> <laughs> the first thing they go, what? Um, and then I'd say if it's a mammal allergy, and that's just it's unheard of. So there is a new guideline for the definition of what the condition is and what is a mammal and what the ripple effect of that is. So the summary of that is alpha gal syndrome is an allergy to a carbohydrate chain in non-primate mammals. So galactose alpha 13 galactose shortened down to alpha gal. That's where the name alpha gal comes in. 
non-primate mammals would be defined as um, cow, pig, lamb, venison, rabbit, uh, any mammal that is live birth, warm-blooded, has fur, vertebrae, not humans or old world apes. We don't have this carbohydrate in us. So then the next question I usually get is, what do you eat? Oh my God, a diet. I could, you know, are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? No, I can eat fins and feathers is the easiest way to explain it to a waiter or waitress. Uh, so poultry and fish is what I can have. That they don't have those animals, uh, live beings do not have galactose alpha 1, 3 galactose. Oddly, there is another thing that rolls into the definition that is getting more research on it. Um, there was a study found, and more and more people are reporting this, that there's also a component that makes us allergic to carrageenan, which is uh, found, in, it can be found in many areas like um, yogurts and dairy, but it also can be found in creams and lotions and often in cosmetics. And that is actually a red algae, but the way it's processed, our bodies identify it as pork. So um, the other piece of the allergy that I would say to educate people is that it's known uh, for being a little different than most allergies, aside from it being a carbohydrate allergy, because most allergies are to a protein like a peanut or beef allergy is to the protein, this is to the carbohydrate. And instead of traditionally being allergic almost instantaneously or within minutes, it can be, uh, you can be reactive immediately, but more commonly uh, patients are seeing the reactions kick in anywhere from two to upwards of 10 hours later. So oftentimes if somebody's going to be diagnosed quickly, it's because they woke up in the middle of the night. And so when the doctor enters those symptoms in, that's the trigger that you know says, oh, okay, do you, uh, what did you eat in the last 10 hours? And have you been bitten by a tick recently? Currently, right now, there's no diagnostic code for it. So it, right now, it's really difficult for a patient walking in um, to the ER or anywhere getting proper diagnosis and treatment. And so that also makes it really tough to figure out, doesn't it? I mean, if you start having symptoms hours after it, it's it's mm -hmm. hard to like track back and say, okay, what was exactly going on? And mm -hmm. all the different things that happened in between. Right, because it's not just the meat too, which really adds another whole layer of um, trouble for most people. So when somebody new comes into the group, will say, okay, so you need to be cautious of things that go in, on, or around you. So in would be liquids, food, medications. On you could be um, lotions, cosmetics, uh, personal care items, um, you know, deodorants, things like that, hair color, nail polish, um, things of that nature. And then, um, around you could be somebody's cologne or perfume that has a mammal carrier that set me off personally a couple of times, uh, once quite severely, unfortunately, and then airborne um, 
to the particles, you know, from cooking. So that, that can be really a challenge for some people. Some people are really hypersensitive. And as we know, mast cell disorder is quite common with tick-borne illnesses. So that's kind of like an opportunistic condition that layers in for a lot of people with alpha-gal. The numbers, how many are unknown at dairy too. That's the other thing. And, and the, and the, the ingredient names for mammals are things you wouldn't think of, like natural flavorings. It's not not at all natural flavorings, but a lot of natural flavorings are derived of mammal or magnesium stearate. That's often found in medications. Something that's more easily recognizable might be whey would be a definition of dairy or um, gelatin, you know, gelatin capsules or gelatin fillers and like an IV bag fluid. But quite frankly, a lot of, a lot of uh, our medical folks aren't, they don't receive a lot of training on that. And it's not even documented. It's not, it's not a, one of the top allergens that requires labor labeling. And that's something that was in the report to con that's going to go to Congress to say that we really need some um, help with the labeling from it, which covers a lot of different agencies, which makes this even more complex. Huge, right, it's a huge from project. It, FDA, it a huge project. USDA to the alcohol and tobacco, they're it's very complex. And uh, I think it, it's going to be a challenge to get proper tracking on that. But. So how sensitive are you? Does it vary? I mean, can like if, you know, somebody's doing a barbecue and you drive by on a summer day with your window down, could that set you off? Uh, that's a great question. So me personally, I've been okay with that. There are people in the support groups that are not, and they report that, that, um, some people have had to move because, you know, sometimes the neighbors are a little close and not so receptive. So they'll keep on barbecuing and, you know, the windows are too closed or maybe it's a condo or something like that. Or maybe they live in an area that has a restaurant right next to them or, you know, something to that degree. So yeah, that can be troublesome for me personally. And what we tell um, everybody new into the group is that first off food allergies don't really have like a muscle memory. So although you may react similarly each time, it's not exactly the same and it um, can vary. So for example, for me, sometimes when I'm exposed to pork in a small area when it's cooking, or if somebody has a hot steamy, delicious smelling pork sandwich in front of me, it might set me off to the point of anaphylaxis if it's in a small enough condensed area and it's highly concentrated. Uh, but beef, I don't have that same reaction. At the height of my sensitivities, I, I did. I had blood pressure drops and um, hives and things like that. And that was when I was dealing with Lyme uh, because subsequent bites to ticks and other insects, specifically ticks, can trigger a more complex um, set of symptoms. And why is that? Um, more science is needed on that. <laughs> They're yeah. not really sure why, yeah. Okay. So it's just 
Okay. So basically, it's it's like the range that we find in, in many anything, uh, any other kind of syndromes where people are sensitive. They have liver toxicity. They've had metal toxicity. Some people can get by and not be crazy sensitive, and other people can't be within a thousand miles. I'm exaggerating, but it's really, really tough for them. And the the slightest thing will will set them off. So it's the same, it's, you know, that immune system is just, it's the same way. It's just what's triggering it. Right. Mm -hmm. So some people it's, it's gas fumes. Some people it's, you know, mold toxins. And in your case, it's mammal proteins. Yeah. Sorry. Proteins, uh, carbohydrates. Carbohydrates. Correct. Thank you. Yeah. It definitely, if there's any other, uh, conditions, within it really complicates matters so we have a group of folks that have um that were diagnosed with diabetes type 1 type 2 and it's a trouble spot for them because you know some of their medications uh they don't have options outside of their medications or you know vegan options for their medications or compounding alternate um but and because of their sugars and things like that there's just some quirky pieces in there and that we just there's not been any research to exactly why that adds complications but if you have mold or any other tick-borne illness it can really be difficult you know for me example for example when i was diagnosed with lyme disease it took them six weeks to figure out a combination of medications i could take that was mammal free they had to make something special it wasn't just standard compounding it was it was definitely a hurdle. So, so did you get Lyme and alpha gal at the same time? No, no, separate tick bites, separate times. So I was bitten way back in the '90s by the Lone Star tick. Um, in fact, when I first connect, I didn't know what was going on. I, I had, you know, random symptoms. Uh, like I said, we react differently to the differently at different times and differently to the different mammalian meats quite commonly. And for me, pork is like my kryptonite and the other meats, I react differently. Like I have bad GI distress. So I just thought every time I saw a burger or a steak, I thought, Ooh, looks good. Sure. I'll eat it. I'm going to pay for this. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have a really upset stomach and probably not a great outcome in the GI area right. <laughs> the day with, you know, acid reflux, diarrhea. Um, some folks end up, um, vomiting, you know, and they just don't understand. They think, oh, maybe it's a, you know, a bug or it was food poisoning or something like that. Um, so how long did it take for you to figure out, okay, it's not just, you know, bad meat. It's not just being run down. It's that, okay, we're really kind of honing in on, there's something really weird going on here. Uh, so it was early 2000s or mid 2000s. Things kind of took a different for me where my reactions were really bad and so did it keep getting worse and worse mine did yeah um mine were sort of always there I had like itchy hives occasionally and you know I couldn't figure out what it was to just feel like their skin is crawling and itchy and couldn't figure out what it was and at the time things started to really kick up a notch, I thought, geez, I better get this checked out. But coincidentally, I was working um, with an acupuncturist for plantar fasciitis, and he happened to notice how sensitive my skin was. And so one of the recommendations was to just weed out anything that was a high sodium type food. 
pork specifically. And when I did that over a period of three months, I noticed I wasn't having this rolling itchy skin feeling. And I thought, hmm, that's odd. So when did I, you think it was the salt initially? No, I didn't know what it was. I, I, I wasn't really sure what was going on. And then, um, you know, I said, and the whole reason for the low sodium was just to uh, not have so much water retention, you know, blood flow and the muscle and all that. So he had no idea, you know, we, we just really stumbled on this. And then when we introduced the food back in, I had a really bad reaction and I noticed every time I had pork, I, this problem was happening. And I mean, I was still sensitive. I was still skin sensitive because I was, you know, eating other mammal meats and using products and things. And I, I didn't know anything about alpha gal, but when I finally thought, oh, this is a problem, my lips were swelling and I, I knew something serious was going on, uh, I started Googling. And whenever I saw the Lone Star tick, the female tick with the white spot on it, I thought, oh, this is bad because I remember this tick. I remember this tick from out in Kansas. And I thought it was just such a strange tick. Strange tick. And uh so I connected the dots and honestly, I was in denial. I, I didn't want to get tested. I thought, no, this couldn't be it because I don't react the same way to pork or lamb or anything like that. And then, um, and then I had a, another really bad reaction. I thought I better go ask. And I was fortunate enough that my son's allergist knew about alpha gal from a conference he had just come home from wow. where one of the founding researchers had spoken and um, tested me and the rest was history. Yeah. And so where does Lyme come into all of this? Lime, like, let's yeah. just pile on poor Beth. I know, I know, I know. Hey, you know, um, it was good layup for what we're doing, I guess. Right. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, <laughs> so, I I was ultimately diagnosed, I think it was 2014 with AlphaGal. And then a couple of years later, I, I uh, we're right around the same time, I think. I can't remember now. It's been so long. Um, it's been a blur of a sense, quite uh, literally. I was bitten again by the black-legged tick or the deer tick, as a lot of people know it to be. I mean, that's pretty common throughout my life. You know, we're outdoorsy people. And uh I had the bullseye, I had the classic bullseye ring. And I say that with quotes because we know that the bullseye and the rash is less than 40% of the cases. I was fortunate enough to have the ring. So I knew that, you know, I knew what the signs were because my ex-husband had Lyme, my sons um, had Lyme as well or had Lyme. And uh, so my doctor though, just gave me one dose, those ducks of cycling and just would not test me. And Ouch. I trusted and rested that, you know, maybe it was just the saliva, you know, some surface reaction or something. But over the course of three years, I got sicker and sicker and sicker. And I remember sitting in his office in tears and I said, I am too young to feel this old. Something isn't right. I feel like I'm going to break in half. My head is pounding all the time. I'm confused. Like I don't have brain fog. I don't have great memory. I'm just in a lot of pain and I wake up exhausted. And then by 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm ready for bed. And that's not me at all. Not at all. I am 
a multitasker queen. <laughs> and so it was really hard for me to go through that. And he just wouldn't test me. So I had to go somewhere else and paid out of pocket for the visit and um, ultimately got reimbursed, which was good. I fought really hard for that and uh, tested positive for Lyme and then treated, you know. So. And I always like to ask people, what what treatment kind of turned the corner for you with, with the Lyme? Because I know with the alpha-gal, that's really lifestyles. You have to minimize your exposure to it and, and, and keep your life clean, get enough sleep, the basic things for, for allergies there, you know, good yep. diet, all that kind of stuff. But for Lyme, you usually need something else to kind of get things going and turn the corner. And what, you know, what do you remember? What was your favorite treatment? What was the one that you think really or combination of stuff turned the corner for you? Well, my favorite treatment was soak in the tub (laughs) 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 and go into the infrared sauna. Um, My least favorite was uh, getting back, forcing my body into uh, 20 minutes twice a day sweating through exercise. That was really hard because I just didn't have anything in me at all. I just didn't have it. Um, But so, you know, from diet, she she checked my nutrition um, levels and found I was really deficient in several areas, which was complicating matters, which was, you know, adding to the brain fog and the histamine reactions and muscle cramping. Um, I mean, my toes, I remember my just screaming, my toes would cramp and twist. Like they, they were like twisting a long way. It was awful. Yeah. 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 So, uh, what, you know, we incorporated some supplements. Um, she helped me tweak my diet a little bit. And then, it, like I said, it took about six weeks for them to figure out a antibiotic regimen that would work. And, um, I didn't get very far through that as much as she would have hoped that I could because my esophagus actually swelled shut. <laughs> Just keep on getting better, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But that, that was kind really a, Yeah, severe side effect there. Severe side effect. It definitely woke the the bacteria up, and I um, very much did not feel good about a week and a half. It was really about a week, maybe week week and a half. By the week and a half, two week mark. I honestly, I, I started writing a letter to my kids. I didn't think I was going to make it. I thought, oh my God, I think we, we did this too late. But, you know, my doctor warned me that this was going to happen. They kept checking in on me and uh, assured me that it was just doing its job, really attacking what's going on in there. But I was miserable. I was scared. I really thought I wasn't going to pull through it. It was awful. It was really awful. Yeah. Sorry, I don't want to scare anybody that's going through it. But it, for me, it was just... Well, part yeah. part of that's the the allergy as well, right? It's the combination of the two. Is, is um, that what the swelling was? Or do you think that was all Lyme? No, it was just the harshness of the medication. Um, she said that that was kind of a common side effect, and she was hoping that I would get through. I mean, I was downing, you know, aloe vera juice, and I, mean, I was doing everything. You know, there's no alcohol. There's nothing acidic-y that you could you know, take during that time, you had to be really, really careful with what you put in your body. And I, I followed all of it, but I just, it didn't, it didn't hold very well for me. Well, the good news of all this is you're obviously much healthier now. 
and you've been inspired to start uh, this Tickborne Conditions United organization. I'm going to bring up your website here for, in a second, okay. and why don't you just tell us a little bit about the organization, what you're trying to accomplish, what you offer here. It's really quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, so our mission is to provide education, research, awareness, and help with advocacy. And advocacy can be defined as one-on-one uh, and also you know, at the state, local, regional, and national level. So the working group piece would fit that national level. Um, so we've been working with uh, some companies to provide awareness and education about the risks of their employees being out in the field, um, whether it's other spraying companies or folks that would be, you know, out there like, uh, you know, EMS, uh, police, fire, that sort of thing. Um, we've also done training with Blue Cross Blue Shield Nurses Association to educate about the ticks in their state and the conditions that they carry with them. Um, let's see on our website. So we have just a just a quick highlight about you know the different conditions that are out there. We have some materials that are available for free download. And uh, coming up this week, you'll see more video old videos and um, audios from different trainings that we've done. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. You also do some consultations, right? Yeah, yeah, we do consultations. That would be like the one-on-one. So whether it's, you know, if a company is looking to become a little bit more savvy about the dangers and what their liability is, uh, because some company you can, you know, there's been cases, one, where employees have been bitten and infected on the job and because uh, their employer didn't provide adequate training and protection, they've been at fault and then also found at fault and then also uh, long-term disability, you know, that so caught, those are all hard costs for the employer, but also, you know, then you have the cost of training and the loss of that, that experience. So some companies have been looking to us to um, help with that and, you know, educate them so that they can protect their employees and their business from liability. And then also we've had some consultations where we've been collaborating with uh, different research institutions on, um, like right now we're doing the largest alpha-gal patient survey to date. Uh, I think we have over 700 responses so far. Our goal is to get to 1,000, and that'll be produced uh, in some journal um, reports that you'll see, and then we'll publish that as well so that everybody can have have a look at that coming up. Also, just connecting some of the research facilities with different um, folks with different tick-borne illnesses or conditions. And the reason I heard you at the beginning stumbling on trying to remember tick-borne conditions, the reason why we we chose conditions is because alpha-gal is not a disease. Um, It's not something we get. It's something we have a reaction to. 
Yeah, um, ex exactly. It's, it's just we've been saying for so long, either tick-borne illnesses or tick-borne yeah. diseases. And then I get to that and I just have to, especially the, got all this stuff going on with the video and everything. It's like my brain just yeah. freezes there for a second. It's like, wait a minute. It's not the automatic tick-borne diseases. It's tick-borne conditions. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to bring Aurora up here. I think she has a question or two for you. Sure. Here, let me, I'll get rid of that banner so we can see you, Aurora. Yeah, I think I've got a few for you. Oh, hey, there I am. There you are. So my first question would be, if somebody thinks that they have the alpha-gal allergy, what is the first thing that they should do after they stop eating red meat? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if they suspect that they have this allergy, uh, I would contact the doctor immediately, a doctor. Uh, you can go to an allergist. Um, and request the alpha-gal test. It's a blood test. It is not the alpha-galactosidase test. It is not the beef protein test or any of the protein meat tests. It's a very specific test. Um, the, to, there's two different variations you can do. You can do just alpha-gal or you can do alpha-gal and then... Um, uh, the three more common protein allergies go, go along with it, which would be beef, pork, and lamb. And those tests are noted on our website. Um, if you go to our blog, we have a brochure that you can download and the tests are right there. And I would say print that off and hand it to your doctor because a lot of the hospitals don't even have this set up yet. Yeah. And, and to follow up with that, it's kind of been my understanding that if something's not in the code, it's really hard to get doctors to acknowledge yeah. it, even if it's just simply from a billing point of view. So what's your experience with that? <laughs> That's an interesting one. I carry a binder actually with me mm -hmm. and I have it highlighted. I have things highlighted uh, so that I can drive the point home. Um, that the IV fluid may have gelatin in it, and that would be the equivalent of giving me bacon. That would not be good. Yeah. The whole allergy sounds crazy, and more often than not, when I go in and I'm having a reaction or if I'm seeing a specialist like uh, for dental work and I explain this, um, the physician looks me in the eye and starts asking if I've been participating in recreational drugs, or being followed by any psychiatric professionals. <laughs> it's really hard when you're gasping for air and you have the impending sense of doom where that's that internal alarm saying you're going to die if you don't get up and effort right now. And I laugh at it. It's just, it really is difficult. So Personally, I carry uh, the binder with me everywhere I go so that I, if I'm in an accident, they can at least see that. Um, but hopefully one of the things that we requested as an actionable item is an immediate health alert about alpha-gal. And that would, that would support thousands of Americans with this condition. That would provide an alert. And to all over so that they know that this is a legitimate condition and that they can look it up. The, it'll be somewhere that they can access within their directory. Yeah. So I print off, if you go on our website on the, and pull down the alpha-gal syndrome uh, link, there is a, there's a definition there, some information. And then down below there's 
actually there is also the test code right there on the right hand side oh, okay there's two different codes but down below there's um, links that folks can print off and have with them so personally what i advise patients um all the time is take this information print it off and give it to your doctor because they need to grow right alongside of you. It is not helpful if you're not growing together and building that relationship because they're gonna to need to advocate strongly and fiercely for you in the event of an emergency because it's just because of the labeling, you know, there's, there's just not a lot of information out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beth, I just wanna thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time and knowledge you. and just tireless effort trying to get alpha gal information out to the world because it's one of it's just like Lyme disease was 20 years ago if you don't know anything about it it's this mystery right and they think they're looking for the tinfoil hat instead of looking for the medical condition underlying all your problems and that's yeah. just not helpful to anybody yeah it's not it really isn't um i would encourage anybody that has this to seek out support professionally and uh through your friends and family there's lots of online support groups there's national ones there's localized regional ones contact us we have a free uh you know micro consultation to help you and um if you are diagnosed with alpha-gal syndrome please go to tbcunited.org and fill out the patient survey because that is like citizen science that we're sending off to uh, those that are working on the problem and thank you so much for having me oh you're very welcome yeah. you're very very welcome this has been awesome so we're going to go ahead and uh sign off for where and i are going to finish up the broadcast and thanks again and i'll be in yeah. touch soon just to follow up it's a little weird just to say goodbye without saying goodbye so yeah. i'll say goodbye but we'll we'll be in touch i'll sign off better stronger together and prevention is paramount ticks are active above 32 degrees so amen that's so amen true. to that that's right all right beth thanks so much bye-bye bye-bye all that right was, aurora that was awesome it was awesome wait i'm reminded of something that was on her that was on her biography that i want to pull up she yes here it is she encourages everyone to join at least one community organization and volunteer their time and towns whenever possible. I think she's practicing what she preaches right there with all the work that she's putting in. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Seriously, we we met at the main Lyme conference. And speaking of that, I'm going to be the MC again. So I'm going to be up there. Maybe Aurora, maybe you'll be there too. Maybe. And that's, uh, oh, geez, they, they upped the date a little bit. So it's the end of April. Anyway, I forget exactly what it is. Anyway, if you Google the Maine Lyme Association and Midcoast Maine Lyme Association, look for their uh, calendar there. You'll see there. It's a great conference. It's always free. They've uh, got all kinds of great speakers. Dr. Horitz is going to be up there this year talking about his work. And so that's just so very exciting. So we're going to be up there. Anyway, that's where we met. We met almost a year ago. And we said, yeah, that's great. Let's do a podcast. And finally, our schedules met meted together melted together that melded. we could finally there you pull go. this up melded melded not melted melded together. either way <laughs> that's just awesome all right aurora let's, let's wrap this up yeah okay people do you have feedback for 
or suggestions for guests or really anything, send an email to feedback at lineninjaradio.com. If you're still listening, you're either a glutton for punishment or you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio. Either way, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, do us a favor. Scroll to the bottom of your podcast app and leave us a review. But if you really, really like what we're doing and want to help us keeping on, consider sponsoring Lime Ninja Radio for as little as $1 a month. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and click on the sponsor link. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete. I shouldn't say podcast anymore, should I? <laughs> this recording, this video, this Facebook Live, this event. There we go. There you go. doesn't work. This event. This podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know, if you are stuck on a test and you don't know the answer, write in Ninja. The answer is always Ninja. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.